the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Van the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Uh, hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Pathetic. That's pathetic. That's that's almost Paul a blueprint of what happened to Ric Flair last year. Paula Nash standing over the man with pipe. Tell me they're not afraid of Luger and the Giant. Tell me that these two rats don't realize that their days are numbered. There's a big splash by Ice Train. One, two, three. This one in. Ice Train, through all of that, just kept on winning. And fans, we hope to have an update on the condition of Lex Luger. Let's as, go back. As soon as it becomes available, we need to go on here, I understand, as Luger is getting medical attention. I don't think we really, if you think about it. 1997 is a year for the ice train and the godfather. Hail Mary, because what you see is what you get. The more you show what they're doing, Larry, the more you validate their methods. And I think we ought to leave it alone and just report on his condition. We'll find out what happens right here. Ice train, explosive athlete here. Look at the agility and the explosive ability of a man. Well over 300 pounds with the biggest arms I've ever All right, seen in my life. All right, let's get it going right here, right now. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to another amazing interview here on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz here on the flagship show of the two man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. And when I say we have another great interview today, I do not even stutter nor hesitate as we welcome in former WCW superstar known as the ice train. 
joining today's program. And if you recall Ice Train, if you think back to the days of WCW, you will not forget what Ice Train looked like. This is a mammoth of a man that John was able to wrangle in, get him to sit down and take care of business for another fine uh, little ditty that we've got here on tap for you today. But John, I want to welcome you in here right now. When I think of Ice Train, I think of that awesome team that he had with the great Scott Norton and Fire and Ice. But there was a lot that Ice Train did cover in this interview, and I would like for you to kind of explain that to the listeners this afternoon here, what we have to look forward to with Ice Train. Great stuff from the big man. Like you said, he was a massive, massive man, and we do get into kind of his background, what he did before wrestling, what he's still doing now after wrestling, and that is a lot of weightlifting, a lot of bodybuilding. I mean, if if you've seen him lately, he looks like he hasn't aged a day, and his arms are absolutely massive. I'm not a small man, but I took a picture with him, and in this picture, I literally look like a, a you know skinny little twerp, and I, I'm probably about 220, 225, and I look like I'm about 125 or 130 standing next to him, and his massive, gigantic arms. So he's just one of those guys, one of those freaks of nature, one of those big-time, strong athletes. And it's great because I mentioned Mark Henry, who I know he knows very well. And I said, hey, you know, joking around, I said, hey, you know, you're stronger than he was. And he kind of says, oh, you know, it would kind of be even. But he then kind of throws in there that he was probably stronger than Mark Henry and that Mark Henry had a certain type of strength and that he had a certain type of strength and that uh, they were pretty even for the most part. But he believes actually stronger than Mark Henry. He was talking about how he benched 600-something pounds. I mean, just a, a massive amount of weight. Outside of the bodybuilding and the weightlifting, all that other fun stuff, we go into WCW, of course, where I'm sure everyone knows him from and his background with WCW, who he likes, who he doesn't like, what his relationship was like with Eric Bischoff and Dusty Rhodes and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Jody Hamilton, a lot of the guys down at the power plant. We go all into that. We talk about what happened with his initial run at WCW because it was weird. He kept going to WCW leaving for a year to go to CWA in Europe, going back to WCW, then he go back to CWA. It was interesting kind of back and forth. And it's great that he was able to make all that money during that time. It was just interesting to us fans thinking like, Oh, this guy keeps disappearing. And, and we're, you know, where is he going? Why does he keep going back and forth? We get the answers to those questions for sure in this interview. And I just love how we talk about fire and ice, Scott Norton, that great tag team, and even a little bit of the feud and what could have and should have been. It's weird, you know, with CWA, we've heard from so many guys that went over there for either, you know, a tour or a little stint. But, it, yeah, it was really interesting to see that he went over there on multiple occasions and was able to just kind of hop back into the States, get back into WCW and, you know, kind of pick up where he left off in some cases. And then other times, you know, getting basically like a, a reboot. But I think out of all those guys from uh, CWA that went over there, I think he might have had the longest staying power of a guy who went over stayed was successful left came back like i never i don't think we've interviewed a guy that did wrestle over there that went back as many times as he did no i don't know i was actually trying to think of that like as far as like who's gone and been back and then goes back and forth and barry harwood comes to mind because he obviously made a couple tours there and a couple trips there and i was just trying to think of some other guys but nobody really sticks out as far as guys that we've had on for interviews and stuff and i'm sure people will think of like yeah, the regals and the families of the world but they really kind of made their home after Cedar Bay in the States for right. a long extended period of time and didn't end up going back. So Ice Train might have been one of the very few guys that really did that. 
I mean, Rhino for a little period, but not as long as Ice Train. So there are guys, but yeah, you might be running. He's probably the, the longest tenured of those guys because they loved him over there. I mean, they just saw that like, wow, this guy is a freak athlete. He not only is just gigantic man, but like, man, he like dunks basketballs. He has all this athletic ability. He's strong as hell. He can throw guys around. It's like one of those guys that's just like, wow, is this guy, uh, you know, Superman? Is he a cartoon character? So they absolutely fell in love with him over there in Europe. And I felt like WCW dropped the ball a little bit. Imagine just seeing this guy and seeing how impressive he is and talking about it and showing some videos and showing him dunking and all this other stuff. So I feel like WCW definitely dropped the ball there. And I know he always had a home in CWA because they knew his background and they loved them and they really appreciated them. And of course the charisma. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, the charisma led to uh, that later role in WCW as uh, the personal limo driver of Ernest the Cat Miller. There's a guy to be paired with if you want to talk about personality, but if you can, kind of just uh, cover that part of uh, Ice Train's uh, last stint in pro wrestling before he retired uh, right around the time that uh, WCW was purchased. But those days, is MI Smooth, we all knew who he was. We saw him, but he had a new name, and I think it kind of uh, you know, was like seen, not heard for a little bit there, but it was interesting to see him back during that Millionaire's Club angle. Yeah, so he was injected into the New Blood versus the Millionaire's Club angle. He was Ernest Cat Miller's personal limo driver, and it was one of those slow burns, or it was supposed to be. So Bischoff had him come in, and he was going to be a slow burn. They were going to really build him up and really do something with him, but make it very kind of methodical and not just immediately throw him out there in the matches. It's almost like, well, what is he up to? You know, What is he doing? And he was going to have a different role than what he was initially given, and obviously with different writers and different things going on, things were changed. And he was saying that at one point he wasn't supposed to wrestle Goldberg. And all of a sudden Bischoff's out, Russo is in, and all of a sudden he's losing, getting squashed by Goldberg. So plans definitely changed. He definitely got affected by the pencil, so to speak. And he definitely could have gotten a big push and Bischoff was planning on it, but he wanted to do a nice slow burn with him and not necessarily just throw him out there into matches right away. Yeah, it sounds uh, it sounds like WCW at that point in time. That's for damn sure. But, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. But hey, you know what? Uh, again, cool to see him back on TV. You know, we all love that Millionaires Club versus New Blood angle. It's always a uh, an underrated favorite here on the TMPT. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to this one. This is going to be cool. And if you haven't seen uh, a lot of the happenings going on in the TMPT Empire. We've expanded. We've got some brand new shows to check out. Most specifically, the J.J. Dillon podcast debuting this past weekend. John and J.J. sitting down to uh, almost start from the beginning, kind of talking about J.J. Dillon's uh, move into the executive side of the wrestling business, working for Vince McMahon, you know, kind of being a part of that system in the late 80s and early 90s. But if you haven't had a chance to download it yet, we published it last weekend. It's uh, a lot of fun, very informative and uh, there's a lot more to come as it relates to the J.J. Dillon podcast. But you can get all of that information on our brand new website, tmptempire.com. Again, tmptempire.com. You'll get the show links there eventually. We're still building it, so it's a little bit of a work in progress. But as well as some of our convention appearances. You know, we have a lot of people that either don't know the conventions are coming up or you might not be in an area at one point of the year, but you might be back for another go-around. Well, you'll check and see if the TMPT is in your neck of the woods by going to tmptempire.com 
So uh, I think it's a nice way to wrap it up here, get it over to this interview with Ice Train, and let's uh, let's get on board for another TMPT interview right now. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Rasslintow. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former WCW superstar, a former CWA superstar, you may know him as M.I. Smooth, he is Choo Choo Baby Ice Train. Please enjoy. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Man, it's great to be on your show tonight. Let's chop it up. What you want to talk about? Let's do it. Now, first thing I want to talk about is just kind of what you've been up to, where you've been since you've been out of kind of the wrestling limelight, because I saw you not too uh, in the distant past here, and you are looking bigger than ever. So what have you been up to? You know, I've been doing my training. I, l- I love my weight room. Um for my birthday coming up, for my 54th birthday, um, I'm going to get with my son, and we're going to start training for like a 850-pound bench press for my 54th birthday. You know, that's wow. what we're going for. We're going for a nice bench press, and there may be a little deadlift in there. But I'm still, you know, I, I still love wrestling. I just went WCW close, and I was promised, you know, so many things. And I just sometimes you gotta walk away while you're happy. And I walked away after me and Canyon's program. Um, I the light had finally come on. I had got my experience because I was one of them guys who learned on T V. I never got a chance to wrestle for four years 
and I came right out the power plant, bro. And mm-hmm. um, first two years, um, when I first broke into business, I wrestled for two years with a torn ACL, so I couldn't really show people my talent because I could barely get up and walk and, you know, um, get to the ring. But, man, wrestling, it was beautiful for me. I loved every moment that I loved traveling. I just, man, I just, I love it. It's, it was a great business, and some days I get, um, I get the itch. I believe at 54 years old, with a good three months training, I can go up the fence and, you know, do me two or three matches if I pull Scott Norton out of retirement and see how he looks. Mm-hmm. I think that's a tag team that kind of, um, I think we both dropped the ball on that. I don't think we had no idea how much people really liked Fire and Ice until it was over. Yeah, definitely an underrated tag team. And kind of before I get back into WCW and some of your past, and obviously you team with Norton, just want to say, kind of crazy. Eight hundred fifty pound uh, bench press at fifty four is pretty damn crazy, no? Well, I'm well. You know, when I first got into wrestling, I'll be honest with you, um, I was doing six hundred pounds at twenty two years old. No shirt, no gear, just get up under the bench press and. And I had a beautiful squat. And once I got into wrestling, they kind of never – you got to remember, 600 pounds in 1991, Bill Kazmaier and Ted Arsini with shirts on, not Bill, but Ted, with a shirt on was a 700. We're talking about a shirt can give you 100 pounds on the bench press, some people 150. And I had a legit over 650-pound bench press at 22 and that wasn't even in the prime of my life. You know, I mean, that was just one year training. And that was like one year training. I was doing 650 pounds with a pause. And it's, it's still, it was that, in 1991, that 650 pound bench press for super heavyweight was number three in the whole country, ranked with Powerlifting USA Magazine. And, you know, WCW never really, you know, talked about that. Hell, I could dunk a basketball standing up. You know, um, I don't want to say that they just wasn't into, you know, that you had talent, could leap, could jump. They just went into, at that time, building me up. They gave me, they paid me lots of money, but didn't put any marketing behind it. That's just, that's how I look at it. And now the money part, they paid me great. I would never complain about the money, but, you know, Jody Hamilton, who was my teacher, used to always be like, hey, man, let's get a bigger. They need to know who you are because Jody would see me do phenomenal things in the power plant, like do 100 straight dips on the dip bar, break a baseball bat across my leg. And he'd be like, they, they just won't do it. Hmm. You know, it just I, I believe that it took away from some of the other guys who were supposedly be quote-unquote strong guys, <laughs> but really wasn't strange. You know, wrestling is cosmetic. You can – you can look strong but not be strong and you know, but I I respect the guys like the Steiners, Rick and Scott, I love them, the Road Warriors, Ming and Bob Barry, because I knew they were just really um Dave Finley, just badass guys. I loved them all. You know, those those were the guys, you know, Ming and Bob, man, I could look at them and just they were strong and, and they and I could relate to them. They were great athletes too. You know, I was just kind of young. You know, I I think I my last year wrestling, I don't even, I was like thirty two, maybe thirty three, and the company had closed. I was just really becoming to be in my prime when me and Chris Canyon was doing our program. Um, 
Because I remember when Barry Windham told me when I got backstage after a match with Canyon, he said, you got it now, brother. And um, and I, I knew who I was. I knew my little sadistic side. You know, I was a little bipolar. I, you know, some days if I didn't like you, I just didn't like you that day. It didn't mean I was a badass or evil. It's just some days, man, I just didn't feel like the games in the locker room. And I was just serious when I – you know, my, my seventh year in the business, I was just serious. And Eric Bischoff knew I was serious because he took me in the back room in New Orleans and Jimmy Hart told me they were going to repackage me and they were going to give me a push when the company went to Fuchsia. And that never happened. You know, the Bischoff didn't get the Fuchsia company. And I, I love Eric Bischoff to this day. What a, what a great guy to work for, man. I know I worked for Ted Turner, but working for Eric – he always shot me straight. He was just a real dude. And um, I tell young guys all the time, man, pro wrestling is one of the greatest business to get into as long as you, long as you understand that it's entertainment. And if you understand it's entertainment, you're good to go. But it's a great business. I recommend it for a lot of guys to come in the gym and train with me. I got guys who – I train in their strength and conditioning who want to go up to NXT and stuff like that. Man, I got a kid named Blake Beretta, about 29, 30, one of the hardest workers in the pro wrestling and love the business. And he's going to make it in that business one day. He just got to pay his dues. Now, you're actually training as far as bodybuilding and lifting and things like that? Yep. I get, I get, I believe you get their bodies ready. Like, um, when I first started training, before we started training wrestling, man, I used to, my training partner used to be Tony Freeman, my cousin, pro bodybuilder, came in top three in the Arnold. Mike Russell, um, I used to, man, Evander Holyfield used to be one of my biggest fans when he would come into the gym. I remember we were in Gold's Gym in, in um, downtown Atlanta. I think I did a 515 bench press, legit maybe 15 straight times. And I, I tell my son all the time, boy, I wish YouTube was around when I was around. But even at 50, I can still do 225 for 60 reps any day of the week. But I just remember those days where I was, I can just go do what I want to do in the weight room and kind of to any human being. I remember the Iron Sheik was testing me out one day and goes, Jimmy said, get on your back, get on your stomach. I think I put Shiki on his back in about 1.2 seconds. It was a joke. <laughs> and Shiki will always tell me, you're the only brother to do the clubs. I would go over his house, and Iron Sheik was a great guy. Kyle's girl was a cool dude. And I would go over his house and work the clubs, and he'd be like, you're real strong because you work these clubs with no technique. Just, I, I love weightlifting. It was my gift from God. And I love pro wrestling from watching Dick the Bruiser, Bobo Brazil, um, Bulldog, Don Ken. I grew up in Detroit, man. Those those were my dudes to watch on every Saturday morning, you know. And um, I, I love I love um, George Cannon wrestling. What is that was the name of it? George Cannon wrestling, brother. That was it. Now, as far as you becoming a fan, obviously lifelong fan, is that something that you always wanted to kind of get in wrestling? Like, how did you actually make the transition from fan to actually getting into the business all those years ago? Okay, so the first start off, I was a three-time All-American in college. I went to Michigan coming out of high school. I transferred to Central State, Ohio. I played for Billy Joe 
And, and as far as HBC, they call it Black College. We played against Grambling, Tennessee State, Jackson State, Florida, and them, and we won like three national titles, HBC, three years in a row. And um, I got a contract from the Ottawa Rough Riders. I was, I believe, I was so good. I went into the office. John Peterson was the general manager, and I think I signed back in 1989. You know, football was a poor man's game. The contract was a hundred thousand dollars in Canada, which was a lot of money for a Canadian contract. And I went after I had two weeks of practice, and I felt I couldn't be blocked. I told John Peterson I needed a raise. And he told me, you got a two-year contract. You can't get a raise. I said, well, I guess I'm leaving. He said, what do you mean you're leaving? I said, I'm leaving. I'm going to go try out for the Cincinnati Bengals or Detroit Lions. And they wouldn't let me try out because I had that contract. So I was in the gym. And I was in Indianapolis, Indiana, and Pez Watley, who was like one of my greatest mentors, walked up to me, and I was at Gold's Gym West in Indianapolis. WWE was in town. And what Pez Watley was in and I was doing, I think I was doing show stand-up shoulder press with 405 pounds for like four or five reps, and then I would put it on my back and do a squat with it. And um, he was like, I don't know what you're doing. And um, he asked me to come to um, to Georgia to meet Dusty Rhodes. And in between, so I came to Georgia in 19, I believe, 91, and I met Dusty Rhodes. What a great person. Oh, my God, one of the coolest dudes you ever meet in your life. I met the dream, and um, Ole Anderson had the book, and they sent me to the power plant, and that's how I went. And I was in the power plant, brother, for about three years. And I really believe the reason I got out the power plant is because there was one of those um, human resources things where um, the racist stuff that came up. But I tell people all the time, man, you know, I didn't – Wrestling was good to me. If they were, I mean, like I told Ron Simmons, we spoke the other day because I don't want to get off track, but me and Ron Simmons spoke the other day. And me and Ron felt, hey, we knew what we was getting into. And I never felt any old type of way. I thought I was treated well. Sometimes I wasn't ready for my opportunity. And then sometimes when I was ready, they weren't ready to give me the push. And I tell Teddy Long, pro wrestling was good. I have no problems with um, pro wrestling, man. It's still, it's my heart, man. I'm waiting on SmackDown to come on on Friday. And I, you know, some days I'm in, I work out like, ah, let me call Vince and just get me one night, one night in the ring, get myself in good cardio shape. But then I look at it, I be like, you know what? I'm good, you know, because I'm doing good with what I'm doing in life. You know, I just, I enjoy my life. I enjoy my kids, my wife, you know. To have an awesome wife to deal with this kind of business, brother, is awesome. Man, wrestling, it was just a nice road trip. I went to Germany. I spent about five years over there. Spent a little time in Japan, a little time in Brussels. I mean, I I did my traveling. Like I told my son, I got a passport. I filled up two passports in pro wrestling. I love every bit of it. I love working for Otto Vance. What a great guy. If you ever ever heard of Otto? Oh, yeah, CWA, right? Yeah, man, that was, man, that man right there, 
was a great mentor, man. What a great guy. I remember one night, it was me and JBL, John Bradshaw, wrestling for the Brayman Cup. I believe I was the first African-American to win. That was a baby face to ever win the Brayman Cup. And when Allah told me, when I went back, I had beat JBL. I beat him in like four rounds. I beat the shit out of Bradshaw that night. That's what used to make me laugh when people tell me Bradshaw was a bully in WWE. I thought John is just one of the Layfield. He's one of the nicest guys in the world, man. We were like brothers, man. We hung out over in Germany, man. Me and John Layfield, we was just cool as a fan. And I would hear all these stories about him. I, I never thought John... Layfield was stiff at all, man. I just thought he was a cool dude, man. We were working together. But I had beat Layfield for the cup in Bremen. And late John had went to WWE, and I had went back to WCW. And Otto told me then, he says, you did so good because I would have never let you win that cup. But if you don't get your push, you can just always come back here. So one year I would go to Germany. I still was on payroll with WCW. Man, it was uh, 90, 93 to 99 was was a dream for me. It was just, I was everywhere. It was my funnest year, pro wrestling. I was just everywhere. It's beautiful, man. It's a great business, brother. Yeah, it is interesting how you kind of would leave WCW and then you end up in basically CWA or over there overseas for a year. Then you go back to WCW and you go back over for like two years. So it's interesting. interesting. You kept busy, obviously, but... You know, they kept wanting you back, and the WCW kept wanting you back. It's kind of a cool thing to be that uh, flexible like that. You know, Eric, that's the Eric Bischoff thing. Eric Bischoff was just grooming me. I was young. A lot of people, I was just young, and Bischoff was grooming me um, for later on down the line, you know, for maybe 2003, 2004, and I was making so many improvements and strides that Eric saw that future in me, man. That's why you got to remember, I Eric Bischoff is is just one of the most honest people that I've ever met in my life and I've ever dealt with. And I respect him for that. I really do. And um, if I ever see him again, I'm going to give him a big high five and give him a big hug, man, because Eric was a very important role in my life. You know, and um, because I remember I – called Dallas Page and I called DDP. I said, man, I woke up one morning and I said, I need Bischoff's number. He said, they're not hiring. I said, I didn't ask you. I just give me the number. So I called Eric. He says, man, get down here. I've been waiting on you. Man, where have you been? And that just lets you know about this business where DDP, who was a cool buddy of mine, was like, man, they're not hiring. They might not have been hiring other people, but they were looking for me. And, um, and Eric gave me my job right back. I think I had been off the payroll for about 30 days, and he gave me my job right back. And it was just sometimes it just it, it just didn't turn out the timing. Like with me and Canyon, we were doing our program, and next thing I know, Vince is coming in there to take over the whole company. I'm off that nitro. I was on that nitro actually to work with Canyon that night, and um, they took up took me off the show. And um, only put Booker T out there, I think, and maybe um, Bagwell or somebody. But I was about to get my push because I had learned the business. I was a weightlifter, man. If I just wanted to match you up, and I could wrestle too in real life. Like, hell, if I just wanted, I could touch you and hurt you then. 
And I just, I was very conscious about not hurting people and not being too stiff, you know, but man, you talking about a great business, man. It was good to me. And it's still good to me this day. Ice train, you know, still makes me a great living, you know, just autograph sessions and, you know, people wanted me to come over to Germany and really see me. It's like, oh, my God, you look like you look when you wrestle, but better and leaner. I said, man, you know, I love wrestling. And um, I go do a little show overseas here and there, you know, go pick up a check and come home. And my laugh with my sons would be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're getting in the ring. You know, it's that fun. And I remember when Vader passed, we were going to go overseas together and work for auto one more time, man, and it never happened because he died on me. And I love Vader, too. That was the guy who got me in Germany was Leon White. Yep. A lot of people say a lot of different things about Vader, some good, some bad, but a lot of people say maybe he was mean or stiff or rough on some of the guys. But there's a few guys that really kind of stick up for him and say that he was really a great guy, a guy like Scorpio. And now you're kind of saying the other way around, that Vader maybe wasn't as, this big, bad, tough, mean guy that everyone kind of proclaims him as. Vader? Oh, my God. Leon White, man, was one of the coolest. Man, Leon wanted to call Otto for me. He says, look, I need you to go to Germany. You're going to be a star over there. I'm going to tell him how much to pay you. And, and, and that's what Vader did for me. Vader was like a brother to me. If he liked you, and he and he respected. See, Vader was. You gotta remember. It goes back to what I said. I was an athlete. I was a football player. I was a two hundred meter champion in high school at Saint Martin de Porres High School. Won three track state championships and three football state championships in Detroit. I was a, I was an athlete. And if you were an athlete, Vader loves you. And Vader wasn't a bully. Vader just hated marks. I don't hmm. say hated marks. He just hated guys who kissed ass and got in the business. Leon didn't like that. But Leon, to me, Leon is in the same category with Otto and Eric Bischoff to me. Two great guys. And and Jody Hamilton and Paul Orndorff. Those are, those are my Mount Rushmore of the coolest dudes ever in pro wrestling. You know, Paul Orndorff, Jody Hamilton, Eric Bischoff, Vader, and Otto. Man, those guys right there put me in situations that really helped me out in Dusty Rhodes. Because Dusty Rhodes told me one day, he said, baby, I don't know what's going to happen with the new company, but that charisma is up there now, brother. When you're 330 pounds and you can go out there and, and move and move and shake and have fun like you do, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, Dusty Rose, man, that was, that was a cool dude too, man. I just, you know, that's, those, are, those are the guys who I thought were straight shooters, you know, straight shooters. Now, I can, I can give you my list of full of crap shooters, but we want to make this show positive. We want to lead a fake people like Terry Taylor. You know, how does he keep it jammed for 900 years? I never know. But those were some great guys right there. Great guys, man. You're talking about Fader? Man, you will love Vader. He'll sit down with you and talk football, talk weights, talk boxing, and eat a good meal with you. That's what kind of guy he was. And God now, rest his soul, man. He's a, he's a good guy. And you mentioned Paul Orndorff. Was he 
basically the main trainer for you at the power plant? Man, let me tell you about Paul. You're talking about a man's man. One of the most honest people you will ever meet in your life. Paul had a contract for me. I knew Paul just wanted me to wrestle and get back on TV. I never opened the envelope up. I said, no, I got to wait. I know what Paul got in here, and I don't want none of what's in this contract. So I waited on Eric Bischoff, and I got the deal I wanted. But Paul was like, I was, Paul was like, it's really frustrate Paul when he would see young talent that can move and was athletic. And brother, I, you know, he, it was frustrating. Paul was like, you know, that coaches like Vince Lombardi. That was Paul Orndorff. That was him, man. Just a, Paul be like, I love you. Come on, let's get this deal done. Paul, the one who got all them guys in the power plant their job. You know, and I had been in the business for four years, and when I came back, Paul was like, hey, man, this is your time. And he thought they were going to do something different with me. And, you know, it just, brother, it was just, you had some people who loved you up in those offices, and some people who just didn't like you. And that's how it was. But the, the Orndorff, brother, straight shooter, straight shooter, you will love him. Orndorff, and I, I know he's not doing well with his health, but, man, hey, put it like this guy got a place in heaven for Paul Orndorff. He's a good guy. And as far as going from the power plant to WCW and actually making your debut, is that Bischoff making that call and you making your debut at Fallboro 93? Or, well, Ralph, that, was, that was that was Bischoff and Ole Anderson. When Ole Anderson, Bischoff was the boss, Ole had the book. Ole Anderson, if you go to an old match with me and Ron Simmons against Stone Cold Steve Austin, Ole Anderson felt the people had loved me, and he didn't give a damn. He didn't care. He didn't care what um, the word, what they said. Only liked you. He didn't, only, now only, thank God only wasn't in control of the money. <laughs> hmm. But he was in control of the talent. And Ole Anderson gave me a push. That was my first push. It was Ole and Eric Bischoff. And Ole felt that, hey, you know what? You don't need no new raps on. You just go out there and junkyard doggy. And when they fired Ole, that's when 93 began to be a little bit. When Ole was the boss, Ole felt I was green to run through the whole world. You'll learn how to wrestle later on. That's how Ole felt. You're green, you'll learn how to wrestle later on. And that's how Ole felt. And and then when Ole got fired, then they start taking the person who had no experience, start creating these matches, and next thing you know, they broke me and Ron Simmons up. I mean, we weren't even together two weeks. We were supposed to be tag team champs, and they broke me and Ron Simmons. All I had to do was just follow Ron, make a tag, get a win. And um, the higher powers, and this was Dusty. Dusty had the book, and um, Dusty didn't want me and Ron together. 
and um, and it was a nightmare. And they put in that other order. I can't forget Black Blackjack Mulligan. That dude was awesome. That's another one, man. I'm talking about. I'm talking about some guys, brother, who just straight shooters. But um, that's what happened when Ole lost to Book. Then it. Then I had. Then they broke me and Ron up against the Nasty Boys, and it was just really dumb because the African American people and the people in Atlanta really liked me and Ron together, and Thunderbolt Patterson at the time. Remember Thunderbolt? Yeah, and, definitely. And 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 Ole thought that would be really good. It would cover me up for my greenness and me not really knowing how to work, but it would allow me to learn. You know, in maybe two years, we're good. But, man, they killed that gimmick quick, brother. <laughs> Ron still, we're talking about that the other day. He said, man, I couldn't believe how fast they killed us off. And uh, because in Atlanta, I was, I couldn't even go eat at a restaurant. It was so many people who love ice train. I was like, man, this is crazy. It was morning football. I couldn't even eat at a restaurant. There were so many fans out there. It was just wonderful people, man. It was a great business. And it being in Atlanta, it was really nice. With You know, I still see Teddy Long all the time. I talk to him at least once a week and Ron Simmons. And, I mean, it's a lot of stories. You come up some great guys. Hey, let's pause one second to tell you all about the benefits of using Blue Chew. Guys, remember the days when you were ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in the bedroom with a little help from the Triple Threat Podcast and the two-man power trip. So listen up, bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they are chewable, they work up to twice as fast as any other pill so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Now, if you know anything about our show, we've always got to be ready. But with Blue Chew, if you can benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, then Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most guys talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps you follow through. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com, get your first shipment for free when you use the promo code FRANCHISE and just pay $5 shipping again. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and pay just $5 shipping. Again, it's bluechew.com, B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and try it for free, courtesy of your friends over at the two-man power trip of wrestling and the Triple Threat Podcast. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, and faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring our podcast. And in 93, like you said, they broke up you and Ron Simmons a little bit early. Before that, you know, you're kind of undefeated for a little bit, you know, like a little bit of a winning streak. You went on pay-per-view. And then all of a sudden, like you said, they break you up, and Ron actually kind of beats you in a match. He ends up ending your undefeated streak. So it, it's definitely, like you said, it's one of those you, things where, you, wow, it ended too happened? soon. Do you know what happened in that match? No. No, I don't remember. It took me I, – I took a suplex. I was knocked out. I was in the concussion the whole match. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, I, I don't remember it to this day. I don't even remember. He said, man, do you remember clothesline me, power slamming? I said, Ryan, I don't remember anything. All I know is when I took the suplex inside the ring, it was all black. And I, I knew that because the next day, my brother was like, man, that was a pretty good little match I had. I said, what match? I didn't match my neck hurt. He said, bro, do you realize you worked? And Ryan carried that whole match. 
And I have no idea how I was getting up, but I got up. But it was, it was I had a concussion. And then, yeah, I lost. Um, I was my first match I lost. And then immediately after that, I think I went to Germany. Yeah, I did a bunch of I did, I did yep. a bunch of TV titles, TV matches, and they sent me to Germany, and that was for Vader. And when I went to Germany, I began to learn. I began to learn the business. I did, and uh, when I came back, I believe the second time, that's when they put Fire and Ice together, because I was in WCW about ten or eleven years, and that's when they put it together, and. Um, I don't know. I don't think me and Norton, I think me and Norton listen to too many people, but I know one thing. The Dudley boys took that gimmick of the black and white tag team and they ran with it, brother. And there was no reason for me and Norton to lose anybody <laughs> at that hmm. time. I believe they should have put the straps on me and Scooter. I call them Scooter, me and Norton. Me and Norton. Um, immediately, because I thought we were that people liked us that much. I really do, and um, I never told Norton this because it took me a little while until I started watching videos. Like, damn, that's a very impressive tag team, fire and nice. Oh my goodness! And um, and and I'll tell you, man, that that was a tag team that was too early. And in the business, that was that was too early. We should have. That was a team that that was could have been really good, and they, and they worked good with the Steiners in the Harlem Heat. I mean, the Steiner matches with with the Steiner brothers, man, those are like Japan matches. Nobody was used to seeing the Steiners get bumped on TV. Steiners working with people, man. The Steiners used to go to the locker room and beat the crap out of people. <laughs> Steiners yep. love, love working with Fire and Ice. And, um, you know, I'll tell you this, though. Rick Steiner's son is going to be an NFL player. Bron- Bronson, man, what an athlete this kid is. Oh, my gosh. This kid's a beast. He plays at Kennesaw College. Remember the name, Bronson Steiner. Good athlete, great kid. But, yeah, man, um, those were – those were the mistakes that WCW made that Vince didn't make. You know, it, we were in the South, man. It was just true. It was the South. You know, Norton, Norton had fired. I mean, think about it. Norton went to the NWO. He was on the B team in the NWO, and he was known in Japan. He never got his real glory in w, WCW, but being the tag team partner with Buff, and um, but that fire and ice, man, that's that's that that was legend, brother. Because I get people, all they do is talk about fire and ice. Yep. And they say, "Why did y'all break up?" I said, "I don't know. Maybe Norton wanted to break up with me, or I wanted. To, I I never. I just was rolling with what was out there, and that's how it was. I just rolled with what was out there. If we wrestled together, we did, and um, I thought we should have been together longer, but." I mean, then for him to lose, I think he lost a submission match with me. He lost about four matches with me, and then he went to the NWO. And then I was back in Germany again. <laughs> mm. yep. that, is, that is true. I mean, 
Fire and Ice definitely broke up way too soon, had so much potential, had those great matches with the Steiner Brothers. I remember Great American Bash 96 was such a great match. Stiff, hard-hitting, you're right, very Japanese style, very strong style, awesome stuff. It definitely should have been something where it was even longer feud, and I think you guys definitely could have been WWE Tag Team Champs. Does that bother you at all uh, as far as that, or are you okay because you got to go back to Germany? No, no, let me tell you what bothered me. What bothered me, it wasn't Eric Bischoff. It was the other people. It was the it was the bookers, the writers. I just don't think they knew. As Teddy Wong did an interview about two years ago, he said, I'm going to be honest with you. Ice Train was one of the best guys I handled. If you put him in the right program and he believed in what you were about to do, you can have great matches with him. But if he didn't like you and didn't want to deal with you, it could be rough. But WCW did not know what to do with him. He, they just didn't. They just they didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know half of the time. I mean, you had people like J.J. Dillon. I wasn't an ass kisser. How about that one? I wasn't an ass kisser. I wasn't about to sit up with you and play footsies with you. I wasn't about to sit up here and be your damn friend. I remember... If you watch not DDP against Ice Train and the Outsiders, remember that match? Mm-hmm. When when they clubbed me with the tag team belts and I got back up, and um, I think Dallas called it no sell, and um, I got back up. But the point of it is I had flew in from Germany, and I wasn't about to just go let DDP, who couldn't whoop my ass with in, in, a, in a wet paper bag in real life, and I love and I love Dallas, but I just was like, man, you couldn't find anybody else to do this match with Dallas other than me. And I'm over in Germany and Japan killing people, and you bring me back to WCW for one night to do this match with Dallas, and I leave for Germany again two days later. <laughs> it, it would it would confuse me. It would confuse me. That is very weird. And that, of course, was during the Monday Night Wars and this basically the uh, WWE versus WWF, everybody fighting for the life, fighting for ratings. Everyone at this point was watching wrestling. So it is kind of interesting. They throw you right in there in, in, a, in a huge feud yeah, during a huge time in the business. Yep, and, and the thing about it, the, the match with Dallas was great, but you wanted me to take a diamond cutter, so I had to stand up to take the diamond cutter. So they hit me with some belts and they clamped out the ring, mm-hmm. and I yep. and and um and I didn't sell it. I wasn't selling it. I'm like sell a couple belts because you you want me to take the belts, but then you want me to stand up and take the diamond cutter. So I just did it, stood up, and when I turned around, Dallas hit me with the diamond cutter. And if people, you know, if, if people believe. I mean, it, it was just, it was so many, this was the point. Dude, could you find anybody else? I mean, you, you, you're sitting out here, I'm in the prime of my life. I'm looking like a monster, 360 pounds, and I got my shirt off, and I never took one steroid ever while I wrestled. Natural as can be. And you couldn't find anybody else to take the damn diamond cutter. So the next day, I guess they thought um, – I talked to Hogan, 
and Hogan was like, hey, man, good match, you know, um, what happened at the end. And Hogan was a nice guy that I just, I had heard so many things. And I remember we were doing interviews. He tried to talk to me. That was a guy who I should have just really got to know because I believe that he could have helped me. And I, and I kind of, I kind of didn't trust him, you know, and because it was so much backbiting in that damn business, man, it, it was like a bunch of girls sometimes, bro. It was like a bunch of dudes who never played sports in their life, and there was no camaraderie. Camaraderie was from Booker T, Steve Ray, Dave Finley. Those were some cool dudes. Chris Benoit, said to I die, one of the greatest guys in the world. Honest guy. I don't know what happened that day with him and his wife, but I, I love Chris Benoit. I love Steve Ray, Booker T. Those were some cool Dave Finley, those were some cool dudes that really I thought was straight men and straight shooters. And and Ernest Miller was cool too. And I you know those are guys who I thought were cool dudes. And Barry Wendell. That was it. The rest of them, you said something, they'll probably twist the story like an opera story, bro. Hmm. And of course, we're talking about you versus DDP from Nitro, but a little bit before that, uh, before we kind of um, go into Teddy Long, because I definitely want to talk about Teddy Long too, but you and Norton had that little feud. Did they say anything about you and Norton? Because after you guys obviously had the team, you lose to Rock and Roll Express. You, you know, you just kind of had dissension, then you started feuding with Norton. You lose at Hogwild, then you win at Fall Brawl. But did they say anything about doing something more with you guys and making it a bigger feud, making it more important? Or they didn't really say anything to you guys? Let, let me be honest with you. I believe that, guys, I believe Norton um, didn't really understand how nice our tag team was. And neither did I. I I don't I think he Norton was older and he probably thought he should be getting a world heavyweight title, not dealing with. I mean, it was just it was stupid, brother. To for him, I mean, we did hog wow. The giant mm-hmm. breaks my arm. We go out there and we do. Um, he does a fight and the referee stops it. They're, they don't even sell that. They don't even sell that. I never. Said I quit. I never said anything. The referee stopped the match. They don't sell it. They don't build it up that man. These guys, Macho Man, told me he said, "Brother, that was one hell of a match with one arm. That shit was so believable." So I went back as I got older. I looked at Hogwild. I said, "Oh my God, what a sell!" It's like if you sold some shit and you actually sold some stuff. They never really talked about it. They're always talking about the matches that were in between the matches. And that was the part that WCW would drop the ball on. They never talked. They never built up the the younger talent. I don't know. It, it was so frustrating with them, with me and Norton. It was probably worse than me and Ron Simmons. That's how bad it was. Because there was no reason for them to break me and Norton out. When we came against the Steiners, People was into it. It could have been built up so nice. And they just, for whatever reason, either they, either Norton didn't like it because I loved it. I mean, I love Fire Nights. Did I always act like I loved it? Because you never knew what you was going to get when you got to the arena. 
you, you break somebody up in two weeks, or maybe Norton didn't want to tag with me. But I thought the tag team was good. That's all I could tell you. And I thought it was believable, and I thought we had some great matches with the Steiners. And then if you, if you look at it, if you're going to end that team too early, which they definitely did, then you figure you'd do something with you guys in that one-on-one feud, and then, boof, that's over. You know, poof, it's over way too soon. So they kind of screwed the pooch twice there. You know, you know what? And the, I, do you know? That's funny. Fall brawl right after the match with Norton. I fight Dallas the next day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kevin Kevin Sullivan wants me to go over. DDP goes and tell people, no, nah, I don't. I'm not about to do a job to this rookie. He got plenty of time to get along. Then we do the tile disqualification. And that's when I knew Teddy Longman was a great guy. He said, train. Just do it. It's okay. You're about to go. You're still young. And nobody's even going to remember this match with Dallas. And I told Ted they need to come up with another finish. And that's when Kevin Sullivan came up with the finish. Because losing to Dallas the day after beating Norton would mean Norton was was weak. And that wasn't the case. Right. And because Norton would pin Dallas in Japan in three seconds. And, yes, I said it. It's the truth. Norton, if Norton was in Japan with DDP, we'd be out of there in three minutes. But in America, it's different. They have a match. So the next day, we were at Monday night. Monday night, um, I mean, we are at Nitro. And then um, I fought Dallas. And then the – no, I, I fought Dallas. And then the next pay-per-view – I fought um, Norton. No, me and Norton were together, and that's when the giant choke slams us both. I have no idea why, but it, that was hmm. that was that was. I'm grabbing Jimmy Hart, and I turn around, the giant's choke slamming me. They did a lot of stuff that you know that just didn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, they they just did, man. I think sometimes if you wasn't fifty and up, you couldn't get a push. Hmm. And if you look at it, I'm not. You look at the numbers, forty to fifty, man. That that was that that was their time, you know. And and it wasn't. I don't think it was. I just think the people who were older and had the company, the business, had more more tough. They can just do more exceptional things. Um, with the booking office. That's all. And what did you think about when they put you with Teddy Long? Um, that was the first time that Teddy Long had a guy who could win some matches, I believe, other than Ron Simmons and Doom. There had been a minute since Teddy had a guy who won some matches, more than one every here and there. So because I believe other than Ron Simmons um, and, and Doom and, and Spivey, and um and me and Mark, that was the first time Teddy had done some um paper news in a little while. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Now, did you actually think they were going to do something with you? Because th- they kind of it, it's funny they should have, and they just didn't happen again. You know, I I can be honest with you. I okay okay so basically here's this kid. I don't give a, no nobody in that locker room 
could put a tempo on my ass in weightlifting. Period. I don't care how many muscles they have. As far as the athlete, I was an All-American. Played for one of the greatest coaches in the world, William Billy Joe. You can look him up. Has the second winner's record, third winner's record between Eddie Robinson and Joe Paterno. Okay? Um, they just did not know what to do with me. And I believe they were like, well, if we put them in singles, how far do we go in singles? If we stick them another tag? Man, did you know it was one year I was just sitting at home getting a paycheck? And this wow. was in 90. Yeah, bro, this is in 98. I just got a whole a year of a whole paycheck because they they didn't know what to do with me. Just sitting at home, working out every day at the power plant, driving around and, and making a whole lot of money just sitting at home. Couldn't even wouldn't even book me on TV. And then in '99, um, they tried to put me with No Limit, and I was like, Nah, I don't know if that's my gimmick, Eric. And then Eric called me up and said, Listen. I want to do Am I Smooth. And let me tell you how they killed that off. Brother, if you go back to the promos, it was the best character I ever had. That's when I knew I had the charisma. I was doing the interviews. I was doing the talking. I was almost the general manager of the show, pushing Cat with the general manager in the middle of the ring, talking on microphones, blah, 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 blah. I had all this charisma. Brother Eric didn't want me to wrestle for a whole year. Killed that whole gimmick. Next thing I know, Eric's fired. I'm in the ring with Goldberg doing it, getting squashed. <laughs> yep. I'm like, I'm I'm in the ring tonight. I ain't got my wrestling gear. God, we need you to do Goldberg. And I believe they just wanted me to breach my contract. But I went out there and did it. And, um, I had no problem with it because I knew a lot of people did things for me in the business that they probably thought they shouldn't have had to do. But, who, was, um, who was booking? Was it uh, Russo? Yes. Oh, my God, Russo. I mean, can you imagine one day I'm at home in Atlanta? This is how unorganized they were. I was supposed to throw Bagwell's mom into the back of a limo and drive off with her in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm on my living room couch about to watch the show, and they're talking about am I smooth as a bitch? And I'm nowhere, and I'm in Georgia and they're in Cleveland. Hmm. Yeah, bro. It, it was like it was a lot of bosses. Russo, Ru, yes, Russo was the booker. Russo, um, one day I was in the back of the locker room. Now, I'll be honest, Russo put me in some good spots now. I'm going to be honest. And But it wasn't Russo who, um, who who screwed up smooth? It was Terry Taylor, Terry Taylor, and um, man, I had so many people. I took like eight cheer shots one night, and um, uh, with Canyon, and I guess Canyon broke his own hand doing the cheer shots, and um, they were so afraid I was gonna sue him. I was like, brother, he never hurt me with the cheers. I mean, I don't have any headaches or anything, but. They felt it was so racist. You can't even find those eight chair shots, brother, anywhere on the internet. You can't even find it on YouTube, Nitro. They disappeared. <laughs> hmm. Eight chair shots to Canyon. Human Resources called the next day and probably thought I was going to sue the WCW. And if I knew they was 
I don't know. I, I wouldn't assume because I just thought better of them than being racist. I just thought it was a part of the business. As I look back some nights, I could be like, eh, maybe that was a little racist or maybe it wasn't. But I like Canyon, and he was like, bro, we're going to do this. And Chris was a cool dude, man, misunderstood guy. But he was a cool dude and great to work with. And um, they were fire bosses every three days, man. It was crazy. Terry Taylor could be a boss for two weeks, and then it would go to Russo, and then it can go to – the writing committee, who I thought was the best thing they ever had, was the people who would begin to write the last five weeks of the show. And and then it was gone because they made me feel good because they felt like, hey, I don't know what we got going on, but we're putting your ass on the show because you and Canyon are really doing good. And um, that made me feel good at the end. And I was getting my work in. And it was a confusing thing, man. It was like a up-and-down love affair. That's what it was. It was like dealing with a psycho chick because you never know if she's going to enjoy your dinner or next thing you know, she's going to bring up something nuts. But do I mm-hmm. have anything Do I have anything to say negative about pro wrestling? No. It was a drama back then, and it's a drama now. If you talk to anybody, they'll probably have a lot of good to say and a lot of drama to say, and that's just the part that's just a part of the business. It's I love great business, man. I love the return, like of you with uh, Mi Smooth, basically the cat's limo driver. Like you said, you weren't supposed to wrestle for a year. You're really with the New Blood versus the Millionaires Club in this big angle that they're doing, and you're kind of like, like almost like the guy on the outside, like oh, well, you know, obviously he's with the new blood but is he like whose side is he on like what is he doing Mm -hmm. why is he the limo driver because you know everyone knows like that's ice train but but he's got this cool gimmick now and he's not really wrestling so when they kind of set up the angle for you and they're putting it to you 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 know you're this limo driver you're not going to wrestle this and that what is the the end game obviously it's going to end up changing but what is the end game what do they say they're basically going to build you up i was going to take i had me and ernest could in the limo I'm giving, I was basically the person with, you know, the person behind the scene, the limo driver. Think about it. The limo driver knows everything and everybody, you know? So here I am, the limo driver. I know everything and everybody. Mm-hmm. And I knew all the scoops. That's what it was supposed to be like. And if they were doing smooth, I would give, I would go give Chris Canyon some advice then I'll turn around and give it to his opponent. Then I give um um uh, what's his name? Um the, with the guitar. Um Jeff, um Jeff Jarrett advice. Then I'll turn around and give it to his opponent. I was the two faced guy with all the gossip. There was no way out. The day me and Goldberg was supposed to wrestle, do you know what the first promo was? And you would have loved it. I was just gonna run over all his limo, all of his motorcycles. Terrace, throw his stuff out the locker room, and nobody was going to know for a long time that Smooth did it. Hmm, when they killed like that, that off. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. It was his motorcycle was right there. So the first taping, I'm going to run his motorcycle over and bump it on a mistake. And then Steiner's in my limo, and then Steiner just picks it up and throws it away. And then um, he comes to me. I said, hey, yo. 
No, 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 no. Steiner did that. Then it was supposed to be him and Steiner fight that night. By the time I ate lunch, they changed the whole damn thing. That's how they were. Too many changes, too much politics, too much backstage kind of fiasco going on there. But and eventually... That was, that was WCW for you. And then eventually they have you feuding with Canyon, which was a lot of fun. And Canyon had a bit of a uh, sociopath gimmick going on using, like you said, using chairs, using weapons, diamond cuttering, anybody and everybody. He was really oh, getting man, a good, turn good turn, push. Remember, remember Canyon turned over my limo, put it on fire? Yes. Every, yep. Yes. Yep. I mean, so yep. it was, it was, man, they were really trying. And you would go with one person today, They would, the writers would be like, hey, let's do this for Canyon Ice Train. And next thing you know, two days later, hey, let's change that up right there. Next thing I know, they probably would have tagged me and Canyon together. That's how crazy they were. It, it would, it would, or you never knew what you was getting at all. You just never knew, and that was, and that was WCW at its fullest. A lot of chefs in the kitchen. A lot of chefs. Too many. What a, what a lot of chefs, but what a great, some great people to work for. Some great people to bring you through the business. But when you get all those great minds together without one leader, see, that was the difference. In New York, <clears throat> that was Vince McMahon's money. So Vince wasn't going to just pay you to sit at home. You had to work. And and that was a lot of, lot of it, you know. I mean, when I look at Big E, I laugh. I was like, oh, my God, that's a baby ice train. Okay. <laughs> you know, you know that's that's what it, you know <laughs> that's what I said. You know, and um, and when you go to YouTube and you look at some of my quotes, all they talk about is Biggie and Ice Train. You know, like man, that that is Baby Ice Train. You know, even some of the moves, and you know, it's it's a great business, and you just build superstars and heroes up, and I love it, man, and. And doing his interview brings up some of those fun, fun memories, and they were fun. A lot of good stuff, and you have a lot of knowledge because you apparently really know because you you brought up stuff that I totally forgot, like with Canyon and everything, and just the MI school stuff, man. And Laurenitis gave me that finish, and um, you know I believe Laurenitis. I had me and DDT have fell out about something. I believe him and Lauren I, you know, these guys are just like, well, I don't know, just, you know, just sometimes it just gets so emotional. Yeah. That's what's wrong. That's the difference in real sports and entertainment. Real sports, as long as you're not breaking the NCAA or the NFL ban on drugs or degrading women, we'll play you because we don't care about your attitude. We need wins and we're not going to have a job. And that's what that's the problem in pro wrestling. Sometimes you don't want the best athlete out there. You just want your friends out there. And that could be, and that sometimes that goes on. Man, it's, it's a bad look. Now you mentioned just a second ago about Big E being Baby Ice Train stuff. What are your actual thoughts on Big E? You, you know, have you been able to watch him wrestle? What do you think about him? And what do you think about his strength? He's a, known as a bit of a bodybuilder himself. I love it. I love his charisma. I like his um, 
You know, I'll I, I jump further. i go backwards for you. How about this? Two weeks ago, I met Devon Dudley. Mm-hmm. Okay? Man, one of the greatest people of honesty, just a great person that I ever met in this business. Just a genuine person. Just a great person. And, um, I mean, Devon Dudley, and he came up to me, man, he said some stuff to me, and he was like, brother, I was happy to meet him. I had no idea he even knew who I was. He's like, man, if you don't think people know who you are, you're really, only thing people know is that you would be there doing good, and next thing you know, you disappear. Doing good, next thing you know, disappear. It was so inconsistent. I said, you telling me. <laughs> he telling me it was inconsistent. He said, man, we get, like, man, we're going to see nocturnal nitro and blah, blah, blah. The next thing I know, you're in Norton, they're gone. It, it would blow my mind. I'd be like, how did that tag team just break up? And that's that's what they did, man. But when I think about um, Big E, I think about, um, I think, a great athlete, um, a wonderful young man, loved to lift weights, remind me a little bit of myself. And I believe Vince has done a great job with him. And, um, you know, and I, I think about now when Pez Watley used to tell me you need to go see Vince so he can really work on your character and you need to leave this money behind and go to New York. And I wouldn't go because I had loyalty for WCW and it wound up biting me in my ass, really. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Vince ends up buying WCW and there's, boom, the end of Nitro. And like you said, you and Canyon weren't even on the last episode, even though you had a feud going into it and were supposed to be on the last Nitro. Were you shocked when you found out WCW was being sold to Vince? You know, this this is what I looked at. I had my chances to go to Vince before WCW. And I wanted to sit back and I wanted to watch what Vince did with some guys. And I I, I don't really think Vince even knew who in the hell I was. Because it was so inconsistent. If Vince knew I'd been 700 damn pounds, he would have came and knocked on my door. If Vince knew I could straight curl bar 400 damn pounds just standing up curling, he would have knocked on my door. WCW knew all of that, and they didn't talk about none of that shit. <laughs> only The only, only person did was Larry Sabisco. That is it. Larry Sabisco would say, I remember one time the Parker did a thing off the second rope, and I, I believe the Parker um, dropped two feet from the ground, and the Parker is about two seventy. You could watch the match, and I just picked him up, dropped, took two steps back, and put him in my arms, basically picking three hundred pounds of dead weight off the ground. And they would, they wouldn't talk about that. They wouldn't talk about the athleticism. Scott Hudson did, if you watched the last match with Chris Canyon when when um when Laurinaitis came in there and reversed and DDT me and then they put that village people tag team together, me and Ernest against Chris Canyon. What a just what a wasted tag team night that was. Just they would do stuff that blow your mind. They they were they were blow your mind, but I would have loved to work for Vince, and um, 
but I believe I was just misunderstood, and I wasn't about to sit up there and beg your ass for a job either. It wasn't, that wasn't my style. So I just I moved on and started my own training business, training NFL players, training bodybuilders, and just doing what I do, and I, I enjoy every bit of it. You know, I do, I'm a track coach at Morehouse College. Um, I just love what I do. And I'm not about to, I love to go to autograph sessions, talk to people like you over the phone. This has been one of my funnest interviews on the phone. This is, this is great, man. I'll tell you, I'm having a ball. Just bringing up so many memories, even the toxic ones, they only make you laugh now. <laughs> hmm. You know, they just, make you, yeah. they just, they just make you laugh. Like, what the hell were you really thinking? <laughs> you know, what, what were you thinking to break up fire and ice? What are you thinking when you can give um, some some jabronis a tag team belt, but you got two guys who legit, legitly two of the strongest men in the world, because Scott Norton was strong, and you don't even give them a push. You give them a push for four weeks, and then it's over. That's the kind of stuff that WCW did. They wouldn't push you down the throat if, you know, and that's because Bischoff was gone. And it was, and then Bischoff would come back, man. It was crazy. And then they thought I had an attitude problem. Which, hell, I did have an attitude problem. I'm pissed. I'm like, dude, these guys are doing the same thing. I could have just stayed in Germany and Japan and not even dealt with this garbage. And they would feed me that Hey, it's going to work, and it was just such bull crap. But now I just sit back and look at him like, man, you know what? That's just pro wrestling, and I'm no, I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. But then I look at when I turn on the show and I see Biggie Langston, and I see I will see Mark Henry doing splashes and turnbuckle splashes like I was doing that before anybody, and I will and I will laugh, and I'm like, okay, you know what? Hey, at least somebody's taking some of the moves I used to do. So that's that's how it would be. And I loved it. So nothing negative to say. WCW is where it was. And it deserved to be here still because it was the number one rated cable show on TBS. And how did Vince get your company? I have no idea how that happens to this day. I'm clueless. Definitely a terrible move by, um, I guess it would be AOL Time Warner at this point, selling mm-hmm. WCW for pennies when they could have got millions from Fusion and Bischoff. I mean, I believe Bischoff's offer was something like $60 million, and then they ended up selling Jamie Kellner over at AOL Time Warner, biggest idiot ever, ended up selling WCW for like $4 million, including the library's events, which is insane because how much money Vince has made off the library is utterly ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. And, and I was going to be one of the first guys with Eric and Fuchsia, and that that's what made me kind of not want to wrestle anymore. I was like, man, this stuff is too crazy. I'm at home. I'm about to train. I know I'm about to get my push. I am about to go straight combat, get in tip-top shape because I am. I got me a job. As soon as this company is gone, I got a job. Jimmy Hart sat in that room said, man, I love your charisma. We're going to really repackage you. Great. Never happened, bro. You talking about mm-hmm. yep. you t- you talking about something that a heartbreaker? 
when they pull you in New Orleans and um, Jimmy Hart, one of the most charismatic guys who've managed some of the great ones telling you, hey, we're going to take care of you. And then suddenly you're like, man, I'm on top of the world. And then next thing you know, <laughs> you're not even resting for 20, 20 years other than some appearances here and there. And that's just to go pick up a little, you know, fun money here and there. You just do it. And that that's what takes you off. You know, now I laugh all the time. I say, you know what, I ought to just get in shape one day. Say, Vince, for 53 years or you find somebody who's stronger than me in your company, if they're stronger than me, don't ever give me a job. If I, be, if I beat your strongest person in the gym, then you give me a job for 30 days and just just call Layfield up and let me go beat Bradshaw up for one time. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. You know, that would be that would be my um, end of my tour, just to get in the ring with Layfield, John Layfield one more time like we used to do in Germany and just beat him up again. And he knows I used to beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that would be it, though. You know, it's, it was a beautiful business and you know, the opportunity never came for Vince, but you never know, man. God could open up a door and maybe I'll go knock on Vince's door for one little Royal Rumble, you know, just get in the thing. Cause, you know, I told my son, I'm getting, this is my goal. I'm getting in shape. I'm going to be in tip-top shape with 12% body fat at 53 years old by my birthday. And that's it. I just love to get my workouts in and train. That's it. I love it. I'm going to go downstairs when I get off with you and do me a protein shake, man, pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. If you got anybody listening to your show tomorrow and you do your podcast, hey, you tell them this is the greatest business in the world, and it is. It has some good points, some heartbreaking moments, but, man, you're talking about the ride, brother, when you get in front of those lights and you walk out on that ring and those that pyro hits you, that that those lights come on and you get to see those fans out there and you focus on that one person like Jody Hamilton would tell you and you make that one person your friend and you look into that camera, man, it's the best business in the world. It really is. I played in the NFL. I played football, but, man, it's nothing like putting those boots on and walking that aisle and going to make those people believe in your show. That's what makes wrestling such a beautiful thing is the fans, they love you. When they come and pay your money, their money to see you, they love you. And a lot of people don't understand. Without those fans, there is no wrestling. None. Those fans give their hard-earned money to buy those tickets. And they're to be commended every day, man. The fans is what makes pro wrestling. Not the athlete, the fan. The people like you who love the business, who've been following for decades, you guys make the business. Because the fan makes the business, not the wrestler. And that's how I feel. It's the fan. The fan who pays that money and will come to a autograph session and pay $20 just to do a selfie with you. Oh, my gosh. What a person. I'm going to pay $20 to 
to take to take a picture on my own phone with this person? Hmm. Yep. <laughs> Man, do you know how powerful that is? That's awesome. The fan. The fan is what makes the business. I totally agree. And as we head towards the wind down, we uh, head towards the finish line, I got to ask you this because we're talking about football and wrestling and you basically being the strongest wrestler or at least one of the strongest, if not the strongest wrestler. What do you think is, is Ice Train's lasting legacy on the business? What's the stamp you left behind? What, like when people talk about Ice Train, what do you think that they're saying? A lot of talent left on the table. Unfinished talent, but a great smile. And when the opportunity came, he put on a good show. We just didn't get enough of him. And that's what I think. He just wasn't enough. It was it was um glimpses of greatness and a lot of misunderstanding, just not what to do with that guy. And that's what I think. And I believe that Am I Smooth would have changed all that, but that was short lived too. <laughs> that's what I think. The guy was just it was an incomplete job. An incomplete job. It was an incomplete job, just to being honest. And when you got an incomplete, you don't really have a final grade. When I went to my autograph session a week ago, I was in, I believe, Moreau, Louisiana. I mean, Moreau, New Jersey. And, and I was in, I was there. And people were so happy to see me. And they were like, where have you been? <laughs> Your guess is good as mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that was it. And that's, I, I will say, an incomplete. An incomplete. It's like an incomplete pass. The guy got the ball on the tips of his finger, he's bobbling, he drops it. It's a great catch, but he doesn't finish it. He just drops the ball. It's incomplete. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sad, but man, it was a great memory. And I loved it. It was it was just a beautiful, beautiful ride. Those ten years was great. The Germany stuff, oh my God, A plus. Working for Otto Vance, Peter Williams, Man, some straight shooters. Great man to work for. Working over in other countries and stuff, great. WCW, it was great. The finances was great. And the money was good. But the understanding of what to do with me, I just think when I think of it, maybe I should have went to Vince when I was younger. Because at least I would have knew where I stood in the business. And at least I knew they would have put their time to create, to make me a better, a better, a better, um, you know, a better. They would, they would have created Ice Train in their own form, and they would have put time in it because it was their money involved. When it's, you're playing with everybody else's house money, 
it, it's not the same. But when you got to put asses in seats like you do in New York, they're going to give you the best gimmick. They're going to give you the best opportunity, and you work from there. I mean, think about Rocky Malvia. Come on now. Remember that gimmick? Mm-hmm. Remember, remember Steve Austin's first gimmick? The ringmaster, yeah. Yep. The ringmaster. Those are gimmicks that you want to forget about. But guess what? They did them again. You know, they repackaged them. That's the good thing about WWF at the time. It would repackage you. It would give you another opportunity. Hell, even gave Mantar another opportunity. Remember Mantar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> gave that another opportunity. That's what Vince would do. If it didn't work in the lab once, Vince went back to the lab again. And he, he was a genius. Yeah, that's very, very true. Now, Ice Train, as far as you and what you got going on, what do you got as far as, like, plugs, your fans kind of reaching back out to you? Do you have anything as far as social media or anything like that? You know, I just started my social media. Um, I I guess started my Facebook um, page and a little Instagram, and I'm going to be working on building that up because, you know, leaving – Leaving um, leaving um, Marola, Louisiana, really let me know how many fans that I really had out out there. You know, they really let me know. They really showed me a lot of love. They lined up around that table, and you know, so I'm going to really be reaching out, doing doing more shows like this. I I just did one with David Penzer a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm going to be doing more shows, man, because, you know, the, the thing is people still want to know what's going on with Ice Train. And, and we're going to, I'm going to be doing more stuff like this because I enjoy it because I'm enjoying that, you know what, no matter how up and down it was, a lot of people really liked that guy. And they would tune in. I had one guy bring me 12 pay. I don't know how much he paid. He brought like twelve pictures to an autograph session, and I don't know. He had to pay over a hundred twenty dollars to um to get those pictures signed, and he wanted it all done. He did. He did. He really did. He really did. There's some good fans out there, that is for sure. And Ice Train, thank you so much for taking all the time you did today to talk to me and give us a hell of a lot of good stories and awesome kind of reliving your career. And I just got to say one thing. I definitely think you were stronger than Mark Henry, even though a lot of people don't realize it. You know what? Mark's a good guy. He liked his Olympic lifting and I, I, I like Mark and you know what? We would have had a good time challenging each other. And, and if you ever want to do it, we still can take, we still do that challenge to this day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I I want to say thank you, and I enjoy it too. Have a great evening. This podcast was a presentation of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast empire.